the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And boy, oh boy, we have an interesting show today. Now, it's a little bit off uh, the the trail, of all, off the sort of uh, beaten path, uh, because there's a lot happening. There's uh, stuff happening with the January 6th defendants. There's uh, stuff happening with uh, the border, a massive border question. Uh, our old friend Todd Bensman is all over the news. Uh, he's from the Center for Immigration Studies. Go to CIS.org and read up on him, or go to ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com, and you'll see, uh, do a search. We've got tons of interviews with Todd Bensman over the last uh, six months or a year. He's one of the definitive guys on what's happening at the border. And man, it's a mess. Um, what a mess. So uh, a lot happening there. But today, I want to uh, speak with you what you need to know about, and oh, and there's stuff going on in, the, in Ukraine uh, and Russia, uh, lots of coverage there. There's a, an election in France in two weeks, uh, where Le Pen, the um, right, center right, I guess more right than center right candidate, is up against Macron, who is the incumbent, who is, I think, center left, uh, sort of the corporate guy, too. And so that's a head to head now. They had an election over the weekend, this past weekend. So uh, got some stuff there. Uh, all that stuff, lots to cover. I will cover some of it this week, but I want to start today, what you need to know, and talk about China, because I recorded. The upcoming interview on this program with the author uh, and uh, Mr. Kuhns, uh, John D. Kuhns, K-U-H-N-S. He has written a book called They Call Me Ishmael, which is the account of a small island uh, in the Papua New Guinea nation. Papua New Guinea was a part of the British Empire. They were given their freedom. Uh, they are now Papua New Guinea as a nation. And this small island, um, Bougainville, Bougainville, I might be mispronouncing it, is an island uh, that wants to be independent and become an independent nation. Anyway, there's a pres, uh, there's a, a president of the island of this island state named Ishmael, who uh, John Acunes has assisted and uh, helped and, and knows well. So he wrote this book. And but here's the interesting thing about this interview when you hear it. In that part of the world, the looming threat is China and the communist Chinese regime who are dominating that part of the world. So six months or a year ago, you may recall that the American people and the world was sort of fixated by the fact that uh, Australia had sort of muscled up, decided to get some more uh, submarines and signed some deals uh, to strengthen themselves. And China was mad. Now, remember, I think I've talked about on the air before, I spent a year of my life right after college in Indonesia. And one of the things I do remember vividly was Indonesia is a massive country. I don't know, top top six or seven in population uh, and an island nation, thousands of islands. But there are about 15 major islands, including uh, Java and uh, Bali. You've heard of Bali, but Java is the largest and, um, and Sulawesi and uh, North Sumatra. 
And um, in every one of those big cities, in every one of the big cities, in every one of those uh, island states, there are states like, you know, Texas, uh, you know, Java is like Texas and North Sumatra is like uh, California. They're not as big as that, but they're big, they're big islands and they're big states um, within the, uh, within the nation of Indonesia. And in every one of those communities, there would be a conversation amongst the native, um, which is to say the ethnically uh, native Indonesians the Javanese, for example, um, the uh, Sumatran people, about how there had been over the years ethnic Chinese, Chinese nationals who moved to uh, Indonesia, and, and they had tended to have a lot of wealth. And especially more recently, that has happened and accelerated, which has happened all over the world, actually, but especially in Asia. So in this conversation about Papua New Guinea, I was asking uh, John Kuhns about the influence of the communist regime in that community, in that in the in Papua New Guinea. And he said, well, they don't have much of a direct role there because of the dynamic that the local community wants. But he said, right a, a few miles away in the Solomon Islands, missed by the American people, uh, the media covered it briefly, was that the Solomon Islands signed a big deal, a big uh, agreement, strategic agreement with the uh, Chinese regime. And when you listen to John Coons, as we will in a few minutes, you'll hear him say that the people in that part of the world see and feel the dominance of the Chinese regime really, really front and center. Uh, it's not like, oh, maybe China will have an influence down the line. China is having an influence right now. China is having a massive influence right now in the communities there. And John Kuhns, I should have pointed out, John Kuhns is an American businessman uh, who has uh, worked in uh, in finance and investment for years and is now, I think it, by my read, of, he's in his late 60s, early 70s. And he um, he has written a bunch of books and he's worked all over the world. And in these last years, he's worked particularly in Asia. And he's written, uh, I think, four books now. Um, a couple of them on China and this one on, again, the Papua New Guinea area. Uh, Bougainville is the name of the, the, the uh, island uh, state. So, and, and Kuhn's, Kuhn's, uh, John Kuhn's has a perspective as an American. And he says, look, the Americans are not paying attention at all to what's happening. Well, and, and he, I shouldn't say that. He says they're not paying attention in a meaningful way. We're distracted by lots of things. We're thinking about lots of things. And meanwhile, the communist regime is on the march. And the Straits of Malacca, if you know your geography, are strategically so important because we move so much oil through there. And uh, having control of that part of the world, the Chinese regime has made clear they intend to do that. They intend to have control of the of the Pacific in a significant way and on a timetable that might surprise you. So very interesting and very interesting to see the Solomon Islands uh, throw in. And remember... Different than the conversations happening in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, the, the Chinese regime does not appear to almost ever engage in military action if they can use economics. If they can use the economics uh, and if they can use the power of money, that's what they do. So the Solomon Islands took the deal. All over Africa, they take the deal. They take the Chinese deal, the Chinese money in the short run. They are, they're flush with money. They're building buildings. They're building bridges. They're building infrastructure. In the long run, it's a problem. But I'm always reminded of the book, The Walmart Effect. In the book, The Walmart Effect, they're describing, they were describing how the Walmart dramatically changed shopping and dramatically changed consumer, uh, uh, consumption, dramatically changed retail. When you read that book, The Walmart Effect, however, 
one of the things that stuck out in me is a chapter that describes how uh, American mayors in big cities in the 60s could not afford to give raises. They didn't have money. So instead they gave pension benefits and they, they knew that they would come due after they were out of office. And so it would be somebody else's problem. That was their way of putting off till later. Someone else is going to have to deal with it. That happens in corporate um, America too, where a CEO will make a decision that will become, you know, harder for the successor to have to deal with. But the reality is here is that the, uh, the, the, the Solomon Islands, they, and, and parts of the world that the, the, uh, the, the Chinese regime will go out and fund all kinds of things. They'll take the deal. Because you take the deal early at this point and you've got lots of action and development now. And if you're a politician, you know, if you're in your 50s, say, and you get 20 years of lots of success, well, then you don't have to worry about it as you go uh, past that. So that's one of the things you see. So anyway, you'll be interested in this conversation with John Coons. And I just want to return to this. Are we focused because of the narrative machine because of the, the, the narrative machine, big tech, big media, big government, which tells us to focus on, on Ukraine, which tells us to focus on uh, inflation. Uh, do, are we missing the major problem in the world, which is the, the rising influence step by step of the communist Chinese regime? They're not slowing down. They're accelerating. But they're not accelerating in a way that, in, in a certain sense, makes you stand up and notice. They haven't moved on Taiwan, for example, although they're probably looking at it saying, you know what, we can, uh, we can see what happened when uh, Ukraine got moved on and it didn't, doesn't look like America did much except, uh, except saber rattle. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But it's a, it's a great interview. It's a great topic. And I'll put up on social media this deal that the Solomon Islands did, a strategic deal, which uh, the commentator that I was reading said that changes everything. Because the Solomon Islands are so key in that part of the world, their location and the influence that they have. So there you have it. Okay, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. I hope uh, that uh, you're signed up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know, because you get in your email box at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, you'll get an email that has a few key links a key central point for the day, what you need to know, and usually a link to this program, this segment of the program each day when I talk about what you need to know. So what you need to know today, China, the Chinese regime on the march in Asia uh, while we're focused on other things. Um, for good or bad, time will tell. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, it is, um, this is always fun for me, as you know, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, speaking with authors about their work. And our next uh, guest is an author. Uh, he's written, I think this is maybe his fourth book. I'll find out from him. John Kuhns. Uh, he's written a book, which, of course, my listeners know, John, that I, they uh, they send me these books so I get to read them, which is my favorite thing. And this book is called They Call Me Ishmael. And uh, Post Hill Press published it. Great press. Uh, publisher there. So a uh, Post Hill Press file available anywhere you look for books. Kuhns is K-U-H-N-S. So first of all, welcome, John. Before I get that, you've written three or four books. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. This is this is actually my fourth published. I've written a fifth, but it'll probably come out next year. 
Thanks now, for having. Yeah, great to have you. So, uh, but you're um, so, and the books tend to be based, uh, at least the one I remember, one of the other ones, other than Call Me Ishmael, in the South Pacific and China. Is that um, is that your background? Is that how you ended up? Uh, you know, what what did you do before you were uh, writing books? Um, well, actually, I'm I'm still doing it. Uh, I I I've been in the investment business for 45 years, and see. Uh, basically. Uh, developed a career uh, putting together infrastructure projects, first across the United States. Those were hydroelectric projects. And then increasingly in more and more remote parts of the world. And that led me, um, my, actually, my first book, Ed, was uh, called China Fortunes. And it was about putting together a hydroelectric company in China. Oh. And then uh, I did another book on... Uh, the uh, the Sino-Burmese border where I owned a silicon smelter. And <laughs> I got invited by the chief here to Bougainville from there about 2015. And I've been living and working in Bougainville, uh, which is on the front line of China creep, as, as I call it. Uh, I've been living and working here in Bougainville ever since. Uh, we're talking with John Kuhn's, the author, and again, his uh, Post Hill Press has a book, and his newest book is They Call Me Ishmael. Um, now, uh, I, I, my listeners will know, John, that I spent a year after college in Indonesia and ended up uh, on the far edge of Indonesia, did not go across the line to Papua New Guinea, but was in Irian Jaya, which is the uh, Indonesian part of the state. So I didn't get all the way over where you are. But So um, tell me how this story came about. I, when you read this story, They Call Me Ishmael, um, you're, there's, a, there's a civil war ongoing, which Papua New Guinea has had a bunch of there's uh you're referring to the uh, panguna mine um which is there are these massive mines in that part of the world but how'd you get this story how did it come out well uh, first of all ed everything in the book is is, is based on true events there, there's a few uh fictionalized items uh mm -hmm. but essentially they call me ishmael is written about a legendary guerrilla fighter who's a real guy, Ishmael Tororama. Ishmael Tororama uh, joined the Bougainville Revolutionary Army to fight in a brutal civil war between Bougainville and the mother country, Papua New Guinea, over, uh, as you just uh, mentioned, the, in, uh, the Panguna mine, the, uh, mm -hmm. the biggest uh, and most profitable copper and gold mine in the world at the time when it operated from 1972 to 1989. But unfortunately for Bougainville, the people in PNG, as we call uh, Papua New yeah. Guinea, yep. were taking far too much of the cash. Civil war broke out. Uh, that war took uh, 20,000 Bougainvillian lives. It extended for 10 years. Uh, Ishmael finally as the head of the Bougainville Revolutionary Army, engineered a peace agreement in 2021, uh, I'm sorry, 2001. And uh, that peace agreement gave Bougainville the right within 20 years to vote for independence. Uh, they did conduct an independence referendum uh, administered by the UN in 2019. 98% of the people voted for independence. And uh, that was largely due to Ishmael's efforts. And Ishmael ran for president of the autonomous region of Bougainville, uh, a unit of Papua New Guinea for now, the next year, 2020, and won. 
And basically, all along the way, I, I helped him do that. So hmm. uh, the book is essentially uh, all about what really happened. And, and actually, it was written in, in real time, Ed, and it's still going on. Is the um, so is the is is he the current president and is he succeeding? I mean, in in a in a funny way, when you read the book and I've read about about a third of it now, and I, I hop around in books, um, you realize that there's lots of natural resources in that part of the world, which is very common. And I, like I said, I live there, but it's often uh, very difficult to get to um, to utilize them. Someone would say exploit, but a, a, as a positive thing, in other words, to turn them into value in the international community or the uh, or uh, in the marketplace because of all kinds of barriers and corruption and things has he been able to succeed i mean is this the is this the smallest nation in the world and is it thriving well it, it's it's not independent yet it would not be the smallest nation in the world there's about 300,000 people here it certainly wouldn't be huge i see uh the ore in the panguna mine alone and most geologists thinks think there are two or three more similar mines on Bougainville Island. The ore in the Panguna mine alone today Ed, is worth $100 billion. I didn't say million. I said $100 <laughs> billion. Wow. And so, yeah, they have tremendous resources. If anyone can turn those resources and his pending independence into a prospering outlier country in the South Pacific. We all know about all the corruption yeah, and uh, right. really laziness that goes on down here. It's Ishmael. Ishmael is a highly intelligent guy. He's absolutely incorruptible. He cares only about his country. And if anyone can do it, he can. Is the uh, so? What's your so? You're you're obviously um, you know, and investors. I, I I often tell my listeners. In fact, earlier in the program, we were talking about uh, one of the um, consumer confidence indexes. I think it's. Uh, I forget which um, University of Iowa, one of them is really low. And I say, you know, psychology is the main driver of markets, right? It's how what you believe is happening. It's a big part of it, at least. You got to have the fundamentals, but then you got to believe. So it sounds like you're, as an investor, you're someone who understands that. Is the, what's the, what's your biggest worry? Is it that there's not, I mean, why would, and by, why, by the way, why would somebody decide to let them become independent? If it's that valuable a state, I don't want Texas to become an independent nation. Um, why would uh, PNG want to allow this, uh, this to happen? Well, uh, good, good question. Uh, essentially, the Civil War had brought down the government of Papua New Guinea. Oh. Uh, they, they had a, a major crisis. I they see. don't want to go through that again. I mean, obviously, uh, the Panguna mine uh, was a critical linchpin for their economy. But since then, uh, Papua New Guinea has developed another 20 mines or so. So oh. they could let this, right. this one go. And, and I, think, I think they will. The agenda for independence is 2025. Huh. Is um is uh again uh, and and uh, the the book uh, is they call me Ishmael and uh, John Kunes is the author we're talking to him is the um is the uh future um oh, so, so what's the structure of the of the family there is, is that a Christian has it been a Christianized uh, island is it a lot of Indonesia is Muslim is it anim uh, you know uh, local uh, you know animist religions what's the what's the sort of structure of the three hundred thousand people how do they live. Yeah, um, the the island, like I said, about three hundred thousand people. They are 
devout Christians, about 80% of them are Catholic. Mm. The other 20% are evangelical. Mm. Uh, The Catholic religion was brought by uh, German colonialists, because don't forget, uh, Bougainville was part of German New Guinea for uh, 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 almost 30 years. And um, there is, fortunately for Bougainville, there's basically no ethnic or cultural strife here. Everybody is essentially Bougainvillian. Uh, They're very proud to be Bougainvillians. Uh, They're very uh, moral and ethical. That is most of them. There's always a few bad apples, but (laughs) that part of Bougainville is, is very benign. So, uh, so there's a guy named John Cunes who's living in Bougainville now. So I, and I, we're, we're doing this interview on the radio, of course, but I, as my listeners know, we often record them in this case, we are recording it on zoom and I, and I saw a picture of you. You're not exactly a dark skinned fella. So do you fit into the community or is that the big, uh, are you the, uh, uh what was the phrase they use? They used to call me Arang Puti in the Indonesian language. I think, uh, if that's right. Um, is, are you, are you a, are you a, or are there some foreigners there? Is there enough of a foreign presence? And, and what, well, here's one. What language are they speaking? Bahasa Indonesia, the, the Indonesian language, or what language are they speaking? No, no, they're, they're, the English is the official language of Papua New Guinea. It used to be, of course, a territory of Australia, so that's where that oh, comes from. Okay, good. But on. the the uh, ling, the lingua franca and is 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 pidgin, and it's a Melanesian pidgin. Oh. And just to answer your your first question. Um, there are virtually no foreigners uh, other than me and a few other people uh, living here in Bougainville. So I stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> well, that's good. Tell them they ought to pass a law there to make sure they don't get foreign and too many foreigners coming. I lots of places in Indonesia yeah. that I was where, uh, as an island nation, they they sometimes the island na- uh, aspect of some of the places protects them a little bit. But boy, oh boy, you can go to you can go to Bali and you might as well be in uh, Sydney, Australia, half the time. So um, uh, that's uh, right. okay. So uh, the China, communist China is looking down and they're saying they're seeing. Well, two things. They're seeing strategic value in the region. They just want to dominate in the Far East and the in the Pacific. But they're probably looking at it saying, huh, um, there's minerals there. And where there's gold and others, there's uh, the, the some of the minerals necessary for, you know, computer technologies and all. How big is the threat of the Chinese regime, the communist Chinese regime uh, for uh, Bougainville and, and for uh, PNG broadly? It's it's major. Ed. I mean, uh, Xi Jinping himself is on record uh, as saying when uh, China uh, creates and, and not creates, but uh, dominates the electric vehicle market, uh, the U.S. Navy controlling the Straits of Malacca will no longer be material right right now, as everyone knows. Uh, all of the hydrocarbons from the Middle East flow through the Straits of Malacca, past right. Singapore, up through the South China Sea right. to China, Japan, and Korea. And, and that's that's a major, major strategic bottleneck that the U.S. and its Navy are able to control. What Xi Jinping wants to do is he wants to change that. And so his strategy is to push hard for electric vehicles. Uh, there's five to six times more copper in an electric vehicle than a, an internal combustion engine powered vehicle. So 
the copper in Bougainville is a huge prize that China covets. And they have been here uh, in many, many uh, guises. They've, they've sent people to bribe the Bougainvillean politicians. They've sent uh, units of the Chinese government over here to try and establish businesses. They just signed a strategic military agreement with the Solomon Islands that your audience may not even know about. And it's, it's basically because our people are asleep at the switch in Washington, D.C. And the same thing is happening here with China at across mm-hmm. the Pacific has happened across the Pacific in the 30s with uh, the Imperial Empire of Japan. Mm. So um, the then if you're there now, you got your hat on as the as an American or as an and now with uh, your experience in world uh, politics and world economy. What's the how does Bougainville or, or anybody else stand up to China? I mean, you, you, it sounds like you're saying when America's sleeping, uh, they're l- allowing the Chinese beast to start to prowl. I guess that's the that's the underlying uh, thrust of it, because if, if the Chinese. Uh, oh, here's a question. When I when I lived in Indonesia, uh, John, I remember vividly conversations with folks in uh, North Sumatra and uh, and Jakarta about how the Chinese uh, businesses had really started to dominate parts of, of Indonesia. And there was an ethnic element. There had been Chinese nationals who came to yeah. those nations and they, yeah. and they sort of were, for lack of a better phrase, they had a class of wealthy uh, who were Chinese ethnically, if not Chinese nationals. You got that problem in Bougainville? It doesn't sound like you do, but that's one of the ways that China, they don't, they love to, China prefers not to invade. They prefer to, to, to tie you up with money and tie you up with influence. Are they trying that in a place like Bougainville or PNG? Uh, they are, but they have been unsuccessful. Uh, uh, Bougainville was a major uh, battle area in World War II. And when mm. the Japanese took control of the island for, a brief period of three or four years. They brought Chinese uh, workers and uh, vendors and comfort with women, as they called them, with them. And a lot of those people stayed in one town here called Buka. But the Bougainvillians have not been uh, flexible about enabling them to spread their businesses. The Bougainvillians are very, very covetous of controlling their economy themselves. So I'm very familiar with what you're saying in Indonesia. The same thing, of course, has happened all over the Philippines, but so far it hasn't happened here. But China is 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 looking at any way they can get involved in the island chains of the Pacific. So the first island chain runs, of course, from Japan down to Borneo. The second island chain is you know, Guam and the Marianas down to where you were in yeah. uh, the west part of New Guinea. And then the third island chain involves where I am uh, speaking to you from today in the Solomon Islands. And China is trying to put flags all over those island chains to keep the U.S. from being able to control its sphere of influence in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, Pacific. 
Uh, again, we're talking with uh, John Kuhns and his uh, book is They Call Me Ishmael, uh, uh, and it's uh, about the current situation. It reads, by the way, all of it reads like uh, fiction, um, because even the town, Bougainville, you say, well, somebody made that up. It's a, so, sort of a name like uh, somebody back in the 1850s was traveling out and, you know, uh, a, a, a treasure island or something came up with a name. But uh, And his newest book is They Call Me Ishmael, about the politics there and where things are. And he has, of course, a few other books, China Fortunes, Ballad of a Tin Man, South of the Clouds, three of his other books, his current one, they call me Ishmael, available Post Hill Press. Um, so you're generally optimistic. I'll finish with this, that that Bougainville or and 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 uh, your fear is China, but the local community is thriving. Yes, and I would just say Ed, uh, on that point, uh, people are finally waking up. I think they're going to be forced to just, for example, the Chinese signing that Agreement with the Solomon yeah. Islands was a major shock to Australia, let alone the United States. And so uh, you probably remember about six months ago, Australia signed a new nuclear submarine agreement with yeah. uh, with yep. the United States and Great Britain. That's all for the same reason. People who are uh, democratic governments and democratic peoples in this part of the world are starting to realize that there's a pernicious force trying to insert their way of doing things over here. And if they don't pay attention, they may lose out. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating, John, and I think it's as fascinating. The story is amazing. They call me Ishmael, your book, but uh, the, all the geopolitics is amazing. I, and I will say uh, I'm going to uh, revisit and look a little closer at that China-Solomon Islands deal. I saw it come through as a blip, but it was really just a blip. And, of course, we're all looking towards uh, towards Ukraine's, too, and that's part of the distraction. So, all right, John, well, listen, uh, yeah. uh, thank you for, your, uh, for coming on the show and the book, and uh, we'll be in touch again. I'll have you back on the show. Uh, thanks for having me anytime. Have oh. a nice day. All right. Very good. Uh, John Kuhn's everybody. Bye-bye. who's uh, His book is They Call Me Ishmael. Uh, from He's in from, I think he said, uh, maybe in the Solomon Islands right now is where he is. Uh, but Bougainville is on Papua New Guinea. Amazing uh, story and amazing place, which I have a little bit of history there. So we'll take a break, everybody. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com uh, to uh, listen to that segment or others. And we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was mentioned earlier on the open that we were going to talk uh, this morning about the topic I was talking about. Uh, our next guest is Jordan Boyd, and uh, she is a writer, staff writer over at The Federalist. If you go to thefederalist.com, thefederalist.com. She's also on Twitter at Jordan G. Davidson. Um, I assume that's a that's a maiden name. But anyway, I will, I'll put all this up on social media and make sure that uh, you see her there. So first of all, welcome, Jordan, to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Good. So first, um, your piece, it came out March 9th. The title is When It Comes to Oil, Biden Never Planned to Put America First. When I read it, I was nodding. I was like, okay, yep, I got these details and all. But first question, what was the reaction to this from people? Did people realize what you were writing about? Did they sort of know it, but not the details? What was the reaction? You know, I think that's kind of the point is that a lot of people have been hearing from the White House, from the corporate press um, who do a lot of interference for the White House, that Biden has put America first uh, over the last year and even in the middle of this Russia-Ukraine conflict. And we saw last week when he stood up in front of the nation during the State of the Union and claimed that he wanted to prioritize buying American products. 
But when you look in the oil and gas industry and the way things have gone over the last week, you see the complete opposite happening. So people are hearing one thing and seeing a completely different thing play out from the administration. It's um that and that's that's what I mean by the reaction. I, it was good for me to see a list. You know, you walk through some of these things because I think people know intuitively, like, oh yeah, you know, these policies are not uh, that the policies didn't serve us well, but they don't necessarily know what they are, right? They don't know um, going through all these. Um, what's your sense? of the reaction to the inflation numbers. In other words, back to this question of what people, because what I'm interested in right now is how people feel the thing is going in the wrong direction, but it's not clear they know why it's happening and what to, what to, you know, what's got us here. Well, I think people are getting frustrated and it's increasingly becoming something that they're worried about because every time that they go to the grocery store, their bill is higher. Every time they go to fill up their car, their bill is higher. And they want to know why. And what they're hearing, like I mentioned before, is that this is a Putin price hike. But when you really dig into it, you realize that this is something that's been happening ever since Joe Biden assumed office. I mean, he used his power on his first day in office to nuke the Keystone Pipeline, to choke domestic oil and gas production by suspending leases on public lands. And he's rained down nothing but taxes and regulation on the energy industry. So I think people are asking questions, especially as we're going into the 2022 midterm, where voters are upset, they want to change, and they're not sure how they're going to get it unless they vote differently than they did in 2020. Uh, we're talking with Jordan Boyd, Jordan Boyd, who's a staff writer at The Federalist and uh, has this piece, which I'll put up on social media, uh, about when it comes to oil, Biden never planned to put America first. Um, similar question. Maybe this is your follow up <laughs> essay. Um, what could a Republican Congress do about it? Because a lot of what you've said and what we see and people need to understand is just the federal government doing it. Joe Biden hasn't waited around for Congress to pass the Green New Deal. He's just done lots of stuff through the power of the of the administrative state. So what's what's the way to put the brakes on this? Yeah, well, I think Congress is already trying to do something. You know, under the Trump administration, um, we had energy independence. It was something that was a goal of the Trump administration, a goal of a lot of Republican lawmakers. And um, they've increasingly over the last couple of weeks tried to band together and pass bills to push America back to that energy independence. But what's been happening is that Democrats have been completely denying them the opportunity. They get quickly voted down, um, you know, not given the opportunity to do that. So we're seeing a Republican push, but because we don't have control in Congress right now, it's really hard to see that something will actually happen. Yeah, it's um the 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 question I have, and again, uh, we're we're talking with uh, Jordan 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 Boyd about her piece. The question I have is, how do you articulate in the face of the media um, what your piece says? In other words, the media is going to say it's a Russia war in the world, uh, the reason why we're in crisis, and American people, if you get that on on uh, the TV and big tech enough. They're going to believe it. It's just the reality. Not everyone, right? Not everyone. So how do how do Republicans sort of take the bully pulpit and say, hey, this is what's happening and this is what we can do uh, as a contrast? Um, We're talking Jordan Boyd. Jordan, one of the questions I also had was, how do we measure the impact on the working and middle class? Is there a way to do that? We all say, hey, look, if you don't if you're rich. You can either not drive because you don't have to go to work. You can work from home or whatever. But truth is, everybody pays. Um, we just if you have more money, you don't worry about it as much. But how do we measure that? Yeah, well, to your first question about the corporate media, um, 
the corporate media isn't going to be honest with the American people. And that's very unfortunate, but it's something that by now we should know. Yeah. Is, um, they often run interference for the Biden administration, and they're doing the same thing with this, quote, Putin price hike. They're refusing to acknowledge that a gas was dramatically increasing even before Russia invaded Ukraine, and that inflation was already rising when Biden assumed office. And um, we're measuring those effects on the middle class and, and low-income families in just daily life. I mean, we're coming up on spring break and summer for a lot of people, and there's families who are living paycheck to paycheck already because of these inflation hikes who are now not able to see their family. So people who have been locked up for two years under tyrannical governments who went by all these COVID protocols that have suddenly been thrown out for convenience are now being stuck at home because they can't afford to fill up their minivan or their SUV to take their kids to go see their grandparents. And it's a really unfortunate reality. I've been complaining in the earlier segment, I filled up my minivan uh, today and it was $80. Now I ran it all the way down to like, I needed 17 and a half gallons. So it was a lot, but $80 for my minivan. I mean, it's, you know, you're exactly right. You do that enough. Um, One more aspect of this, Jordan, uh, in, in your piece, we ended up having to go talk to not just Saudi Arabia, which most Americans are used to that. They say, well, I don't know if I like it. Uh, what really happened to 9-11? There looked like there were some Saudis that sort of support it. You know, it's not our favorite thing, but we're sort of used to that. But I, Iran and Venezuela have actually been, you know, not I guess they're not our enemies because we don't think of them on our, on our level. But they're 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 nations that we don't trust their people in leadership at all. And we sanction them and we fight with them because we're not trusting them. We're going to those countries and saying, can we buy your oil? I mean, this is an, an incredible change, as you point out, that Biden did. That's what he did. That's his choice. Absolutely. It's incredibly insulting, and it should be to the American people who are bearing the burden of this cost of getting foreign oil and also to the American oil and gas industry because we're making deals with regimes that we tried to overthrow just two years ago and regimes that do not align themselves with Biden's green energy policy, which he used as justification to shut down the domestic oil industry in the U.S. I mean, Venezuela produces 500% more methane than U.S. producers, yet Biden is sending delegates to go negotiate deals about getting their oil shipped into the United States. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's great. Well, that, that's a very good, I mean, that's, that's a, um, uh, a great point there. I mean, that, and, and, and um, one last line on this is that what I wonder is, is, are the Republicans who look like if you if you follow politics, they're going to win the House. It's hard to see how they wouldn't, although who knows what can happen and who knows how, you know, election integrity will be challenged. Uh, you know, I don't know if we I, I doubt we'll have another pandemic, but who knows? Um, but, you know, it, fe- it feels like the Republicans need to come up with uh, the policies, the, the laws that they could pass out of the House into the Senate that said, here's how to make that difference and, and sort of make that stark. I mean, Biden may veto it all, but make it clear what those policies are, not just we want to you know do more drilling. But here's exactly what we're going to do so that people can say, aha, I pick that. I, I don't know if we live in a world where you can just say I'm against the Democrats. It might be. And I'm against Biden and elect us and we'll see what we get in. I wonder if anybody's really preparing that or if you sense in your reporting that the Republicans are see an opening and are filling the opening with sort of policy initiatives as opposed to just sort of rhetoric or politics. 
Yeah, I think in the same way that the Biden administration is employing this as, quote, an opportunity that should motivate us to make the transition to clean energy, Republicans should absolutely be motivated to fight back on this. And like I mentioned, they're trying, um, but it is something that they should latch on to and use for the upcoming midterms because ultimately Americans are upset. Polling shows that and they vote with their pocketbooks and their pocketbooks are taking a really massive hit right now. They sure are. Okay. Well, uh, listen, Jordan Boyd, thank you, first of all, for coming on the program. Uh, Jordan Boyd is a writer uh, over at thefederalist.com. He's got a great piece. When it comes to oil, Biden never planned to put America first. Uh, again, it helps you, gives you the context and gives you some links and things. So you, if you're talking about this, you're not just uh, yelling like I was earlier about the price of gas in my minivan. <laughs> you have some ways to back it up. So mm-hmm. thanks for coming on, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and come back. And don't forget, I'll post all this up on social media. I'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 